0: Welcome to The Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs podcast, helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut up moment and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. I am your host and chief shut-upper of Making Shit Happen, Bernie Schoen. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, and we are back for another awesome edition of The Shut Up Show. If it's your first time here, we're here for you, solopreneurs. We know the journey is hard and difficult, and you don't have to do it alone. So I'm your host, Bernie Shung. I've got an awesome guest today that I met through a former guest of ours, Nick Loper. Thank you, Nick. And this person I'm so excited to introduce to you because you want to talk about being able to brave through to the other side of fear. This dude totally's got that down, and I'm sure he's got many more fear moments ahead. But the show is not about putting people on the spot. The show is about showing you that you're not in this alone, that no matter how far you're down that path of success, every single person, no matter how far they've come, will always feel that fear. It's going to come and you know it's going to grip you in that moment but the bottom line is it's about moving past it. It's about breaking out of it and being able to move forward and do the good shit work that you want to do. So with that long intro, I'm so excited to introduce Kurt Elster to the show. Welcome, Kurt. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You came highly recommended by Nick. Oh, yeah, Nick's great. (laughs) He's awesome. Uh, Nick of Side Hustle Nation. And, you know, Kurt shared a little bit of his story with me, but I don't want to ruin it. I think he's going to be able to tell it much better than me. So how I really want to kick off the conversation today, Kurt, is to have you give us a Reader's Digest version of your story and maybe take us back to that pivotal moment in time where you decided enough is enough I can't stand what I'm doing anymore, and it's time for me to break free, break out of this, and do that shit that I've been wanting to do. Okay,
1: um, where to start? All right. The moment I knew that I had to break free of that nine to five job and become uh, go out on my own for a bit, be an entrepreneur, uh, is actually it's pretty clear to me. I was tying my shoes. I remember vividly. I sat down on the couch to tie my shoes to get up, leave, go to work, drive to work. And I put my shoes on. They're Converse All-Stars. I can picture it now. And I started crying. And then that broke, like, just full-on sobbing at the prospect of having to go to work because I had been lying to myself about, like, oh, I'm happy in my job. I love my job. I, You know, I wasn't at all. And resisting that and fighting that really um, was building up and eating me up inside. And it it resulted in, like, a full-on crying breakdown on my couch at, like, 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. And in that moment, I said, okay, I've got to stop crying. That's ridiculous. And I knew then I was going to quit my job and start my own business. I didn't know what my business was going to be, but I knew if I had quit my job, that would light a fire and I would do this. So I went into work that day, and I said, all right, I'm and I, I don't know why I lied about it, but I said, all right, I'm going to go work. i got a job elsewhere. I'll see you guys later. So I put in my two-weeks notice. So I said, i got two weeks to figure out what I'm going to do, which is nuts. And then I went the next day. I was taking a shower, and that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to start a software service business. And I have a friend who's a good friend from high school, dearly love him. I was best man at his wedding. Who had recently lost his job and it was on unemployment. I said, I bet I could rope him in to be my, my technical co-founder. So and that's what I did. We started, I just one day, because I couldn't take it anymore, quit my job. And really the thing that did it was I um, I think what what pushed me over the edge was I was at work and I had asked my boss a couple weeks prior, I said, Can I um, you know, can I get a raise? You know, what's my future salary? You know, what what can we do here? And he was like, I, I love you. You're a great guy. He was a smooth talker. You know, you're, you're really great. You do wonderful things here, but there's no money in the budget. And then, like, two weeks later, he had me, you know, sort of as, like, an assistant shopping for a used Porsche 911 Turbo for him. And that's when I was like, wait a second. This doesn't sound right. And I think that's what pushed me over the edge, was helping my boss, who would said I couldn't earn any more, buy an a expensive German sports car.
0: Oh my goodness! Wow, Kurt, isn't isn't that crazy how we can live in this, if you want to call it, an illusion, right? No, for sure. They, like they looking dang, back on
1: it, right? Like, they dangle <laughs> that
0: carrot, and and yeah, feel feel free to keep going. But it's dangling that carrot, and then when is enough enough? When are you tired of chasing that carrot, and you're finally going out and doing your own thing?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. like he would give me more responsibilities, and I'd be like, yeah, this is the new thing I'm going to do. This is super exciting. But I was never getting any more money. Like, there was no compensation for that. Um, and I had, like, my parents actually were like, wait a second. Is this guy ripping you off? And I'd get really defensive. I'd be like, no, I love it there. And it, I really didn't. Like, I had, but I had convinced myself, absolutely convinced myself that I did.
0: What do you think, uh, what was it about the job that you actually did enjoy, if, the, if there was any aspect of it?
1: Well, it was it was just, um... It was for an e-commerce startup, um, and they had that startup culture. So it was very, like, you know, you set your own hours, you come in, um, you're you're your own boss. Um, And there was a lot of, like, company outings that were fun. Um, And they sold car parts online, after car parts. Um, And, like, they took us to industry events. And so there were were definitely perks and benefits, and I enjoyed it. And actually, now that I've gone out on my own, uh, he's a good friend of mine now, and... Um, he's actually one of my clients too, so <laughs> I have I've turned the tables.
0: <laughs> I love when things come full full circle. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's interesting though because um, I'm not surprised by that. You know, I've I've talked to over a hundred entrepreneurs here on the show, and pretty much everybody who ha- has a similar experience as you said that. In that moment of reckoning, they, they were thinking, like, why am I still here? I don't even like this. But later on, they realized down the road that the skills and the experience that they acquired in that time, right, doing that job chasing somebody else's dream, it actually was beneficial because it did help them down the road.
1: I still had to do that time. And actually, you know, and as a um, well, fledgling fledging startup and growing with them, I learned so much. Like, when I first went out on my own in those first two years, I realized, like, how much I had taken in and learned from them. Oh, for sure. And then five years after that, now we're friends and they're a client.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Now, I believe this was, what, 2009 that this all happened, right, when you left your product Mm -hmm. manager position. You went out and started your own uh, uh, bootstrap startup, you talked about failure quite a bit, and you finally got to a place several years later now where you finally honed in on your specialty, and you've kind of carved a nice niche for yourself. Do you yeah. want to take, take us there and, and tell us so how you got there?
1: Originally, we, we bit off more than we could chew. So I, in my, um, in my rapture at being set free, um, really went too big. I, like, developed this idea for this huge software-as-a-service e-commerce platform, and it had dependencies on, like, various vendors. Uh, It was was flat-out crazy to do as a first endeavor. But as a first endeavor, I didn't know any better. So I did it, and after about 11 months, you know, we had an office in our local town in Park Ridge, and we had people um, who would introduce themselves, like various business owners, and they misunderstood what we are doing, because I'd be like, oh, we do software service, and blah, blah, blah. And all they heard was, like, website. So these people would come, knock on my door, and be like, oh, can you help me with my website? I need a new website for my business. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Get out of here. This is a bootstrap startup. This is cool stuff. You don't know, get it. Go away. So these people were literally knocking on my door, trying to give me money to do a service. And I was saying, I can't take your money. That would be inauthentic to the dream." I have to do this crazy thing that I set out for myself, and after 11 months, it wasn't working out. Like it wasn't working. We needed to keep the lights on, and people were we'd taken a, two of those jobs um, just to get cash in the door because we were bootstrapped. Um, and I said, "What's what? Said, what said, Wait a minute. What are we doing? You know, because in your first like your first entrepreneurial endeavor, I think there's this thing like." you think you can't fail. Like, if you change the business model at all, if you change that original dream because you've gone and told all your friends and family about it, that somehow that's a failure. It's not. It's pivoting to survive. Like, real businesses do that all the time. And now I realize, like, probably every six months I retool my business a little bit just to keep evolving. So, yeah, one of the things you can't fear is changing. Like, at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, is like, your end goal is... I'm going to make a living for myself, and that's it. Like, you haven't failed so long as you're still working toward that goal. So, yeah, we gave up on that original idea after 12 months and turned um, from this complicated software-as-a-service thing to let's provide uh, web design services to our local small businesses who are all knocking on the door asking for help.
0: Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how sometimes we build things? And and I think there's a, there's a there's like I maybe seeing three different things that's happening, right? You build something that people don't want, right? Or people want something and you're totally ignorant and you're not building it for them or the third is kind of a combination of both where you're building something, but you're not in front of the right people, right? Yeah. You have well, the wrong the, people in front of you. So, so what was one of the greatest lessons you learned in this pivoting that you had to do that really made you go, okay, now this is what I should be doing?
1: Well, one of the things was I wasn't listening to our, our audience. So no. I was trying to sell to an audience who didn't know I existed when I had unintentionally developed a network locally who was literally begging me to like, begging to pay me. <laughs> well, and before we, before them. we,
0: before we hit record, you were talking about them like wanting you to help them with like IT support stuff, which, I mean, we laugh about it cause that's not what oh, you that's do. True. Yeah, yeah. But, but you're the sought out resource. They don't yeah. care what it is. They want you for it. People are wanting to throw money out at you. And, you know, this is what happens when you don't listen. So now that you've listened, what's happened since then?
1: Well, listening since then, so we've built um, essentially a, a large web development agency. We're a small team. Um, we have big clients. We've done projects for Verizon. a uh, website we built supported a, um, a Super Bowl campaign they ran last year for It's called Fight for Off. And that was exciting stuff. Um, So we're doing that. We're working with our local creative agencies in Chicago to support their clients. And then we also, so we've settled our business into two practices. There's those consulting services. And then we also help, I still help small businesses, um, just as we did four years ago. But I've limited it to e-commerce and Shopify. And that's because it's incredibly rewarding. I could center all my work around return on investment that way by doing e-commerce. And I love that. If you have a vendor and they don't talk about the money they're going to earn you, fire that vendor. Like anyone who calls me, you know, if they have a project, I'm like, listen, that's not going to make you money. I don't want to do it because I, I want to earn my key. So we always want to see like a two to five X return on investment with our clients. And that's right. very rewarding. With e-commerce, you could quantify that very easily. Right.
0: You know, what's awesome about you too is in, in looking at your uh, background, I, I, noticed that you know how to make viral campaigns, right? You had some posts that were very popular and I know this is a massive question for me to ask you, but what do you think you
1: did right? Okay. So the way originally we thought, well, viral is just an accident. It's a thing you can't engineer, you can't do And you know what? I was absolutely right, but we did it by accident. So we were in the office one Friday afternoon and by this point um, I had two other partners. Um, and a, a network of, of uh, 1099 individuals. Um, and one of my partners, Paul Rita, who is a, a wonderful man, he had a friend he was trying to plan a matinee with. They wanted to see a matinee of um, paranormal activity, right? So they're texting back and forth, and they've got their – and who loves to, to screw up with autocorrects. So one of his friends said, I'd rather see a calming matinee, right? Because she didn't want to see a horror movie. It turned it to manatee? So he gets this text that says, I'd rather see a calming manatee. And he's like, what is a calming manatee? So he said, Kurt, calmingmanatee.com is available. You should register. And I was like, what are we going to do with that? That's silly. But I'm like, you know what? It's $8. I'm going to register this domain name and see what you could do. So I did it. And by the end of the afternoon, he put up a page that loaded one of ten random images on page load. And he'd found Creative Commons licensed images of manatees. We found ten of them. Um, and then he'd added these, like, very encouraging captions. Um, and my favorite, just it's a manatee, and it just says, you go, girl. Like, that's fantastic, <laughs> right? And I thought it was silly. And then he sent it to his friend, and she was like, you put that together that fast? Um, but it's because we didn't think about it. You know, we're just like, yeah. well, just do it. Well, fuck it, just do it. You can do it in the <laughs> afternoon, just go. So we did it. And then over the weekend, like, we tweeted it once. And I don't think I tweeted it. I think he did it. To, like, at the time, like, 300 followers. And two days later, Pee Wee Herman has seen it and tweets it out. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's everywhere. And then the Huffington Post calls, and they're trying to, like, get an interview. It was unbelievable. So we had, like, literally within the month we put it up, we had a million page views. So the, the thing we learned about that, like, if you're trying to make something go viral, it can't be commercial. It has to be selfless. It has to be something that helps others. So call me manatee clearly like it, it's relaxing. It helps you. And I've gotten all kinds of wonderful stories from people who email us and say, like, I was, you know, I was in this space, like my boyfriend broke up with me and Call Me Manatee made me feel great. <laughs> or um, I had my my future grandmother in law was like, I was gonna give a, a talk and I was really nervous and my husband showed me call me manatee. And I was just like, I felt so much better. It's great. Um, but, yeah, for something to go viral, one of the things we learned is it, it has to be selfless. Like, if it's any way commercial, people aren't going to share it. But what we did, we, eventually we, we tried a different way to monetize it, and eventually we put AdSense on it, mm-hmm. and we were really scared to put AdSense on it. I don't know if people right. Don't hate us. If we do AdSense. People hate ads. Not a single person, after millions of people have seen our stuff, have complained about ads. So AdSense is, like, a super low barrier to entry to monetize content. So if you've got a blog that's got even, um, like, 10,000 visitors a month, that's, a, like, possibly, depending on your venture, a few hundred dollars you'll get for doing for just doing what you're already doing for what you love
0: right AdSense. Right. What a fanta- I mean I know we I know we're making light of this conversation here but what a fantastic idea cuz this is what I'm hearing number 1 you had to have fun with what you were doing there Absolutely. there was no there was no you know the the intended reason wasn't to monetize at the beginning but after you did develop a following and after you did see that this made an impact your audience was so engaged that they didn't care later on that you added the AdSense for the monetization because you know they've already fallen in love with the idea. And the the other thing I'm I'm hearing in this too is the component of adding fun, like incorporating fun into what you do. And you'd be surprised by the way this does help people and then essentially, not always, but essentially being able to monetize as well. It reminds uh... me... I was just going to say real quick, it reminds me of the uh, Angry Birds people because from what I understand with their story, they had done a ton of failed uh, software apps. And when they did Angry Birds, it was just kind of a stupid little, oh, you know what, what the hell, we'll just do this one. And that one ended up being like an overnight success for them from from what I heard. And so this kind of reminds me a little bit of that. It's the one that you don't, you're not thinking too hard to do it. It's just Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: The less you think about it, the better. Um, <laughs> and even like Call Me like calling Manatee, um, it just keeps going. We, you know, we add manatees to it every so often, but it's otherwise been unchanged. Even last Christmas, I was sitting on the couch where we've got MSNBC out in the background but not really paying attention to it. I just like the background noise. And they're talking – they have like a round table and they're talking about gifts we give President Obama. And one of the, the people in the roundtable discussion says, listen, he's had a really rough year. I'd give him calming manatee. And then they're discussing calming manatee on the air, and I'm sitting on the couch like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> And that's funny, I actually, so we made a calling Manatee for the, the woman, um, Christina Bella, Bella, Toni Bellanoci I forgot, something Italian. Um, we tried, found her email, we sent her an email, we made her right like Calming Manatee. So that's really
0: hilarious. Cool.
1: That is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the thing we learned from that is, like, no idea is stupid. Like, if you can do it in an afternoon or even a week, don't think about it. Just do it. Just try it, put it out there, and see what happens. It was Absolutely. you know my crazy like I blew eleven months losing money building this intensely complicated software as a service platform, but then calming Manatee, <laughs> which is essentially like the idea sparked from a misspelling, rebuilt in an afternoon, um, and that God millions of people have seen that, and that's like legitimately made a difference in people's lives. Right, that's unbelievable to me. I love so, it. Yeah.
0: Well, well, I do have to give credit to you, too, because I think that even though it was a mistake, right, even though this wasn't intentional from the beginning, you and, and your, your partner had this innovative sense, right, to... To, to use your creative mind and do something with it. Because I think sometimes there are many of us who are so caught up in what we're doing every day, Kurt, that we don't pay attention to these things and have fun with mistakes or, you know, maybe a misstep or, you know, perceived failures, right? We, we hold ourselves back and we hold ourselves down and we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I made that mistake. That was the dumbest thing ever. And it's hard for us to get up from that, right? But yeah, in a case a like scary, this... Scary. Right. And in a case like this, you guys didn't use this misspelling as an as an error, I mean as a mistake, or oh my god, I'm stupid. It was let's have fun with this. Let's do Absolutely. something with this. And who who cares what happens? Let's yeah, see what and happens.
1: Since then, um, including Calling Manatee, we've created I think thirty nine wow. websites in the same thing. Thirty nine of them. And of them really like three are huge successes. So uh, not any, like that I don't feel bad about it. I mean it was a cool idea. I had fun with it. We made 36 that didn't work and three that totally pay for the the cost of the others. Because when they're simple ideas, you just do it. It's great. Right. Um, Yeah, the the two successful ones, aside from Calling Vanity, are uh, Rainy Cafe. Okay. And that just plays the noise of rain in a uh, a cafe. And it was because I, when I work, I used to listen to um, Rainy Mood, which just plays rain noise, and Coffee-tivity, which plays a cafe. And I'd put them together in two different tabs.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: And I said, wait a second, why am I why am I doing this? Because I had, like, those are back in the days when Firefox would never really So I'm getting <laughs> Um I'm like, I could do this ourselves and make it better. So I made it for myself. And then it appeared on Lifehacker. And then again, like, millions of visitors a day. And that one I was running. I already had AdSense going on it. Um, that's
0: so crazy, and that's ooh. awesome. Do you, have you always been creative, would you say, Kerr? Because I, I know in your bio you talk quite a bit about how you do have the technical background, and you're also a designer slash you have a lot of business acumen, which, which is rare at times is, is what yeah. I find. It's, yeah, it's, it's becoming less career rare career now, sense. right? But, but for you, do you think that from a very young age you knew you would be pretty creative growing up and also businessy at the same time?
1: I knew it well. I was always I loved to draw. So ever since a young age, I was like drawing Sonic the Hedgehog and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, so I knew I was creative in that sense, like traditionally creative. And then um, in college, I I actually started a little bit in undergrad, um, and I, I ended up doing business. I think just because it was it was an easier degree to get, uh, but I fell in love with it. And I, I worked with um, there's an entrepreneurship center in that I worked with. And then I went on, I got my MBA from IT, and studied marketing at the University of Chicago. Um, but you know what? I don't think any of that particularly helped me. It taught me to speak the language, and that's it. But as far as, like, ROI, there's no way. Like, today, I think my, I went to college, I think my undergrad education today is, like, 180 grand for four years. I don't, I don't think that would help anyone. So if you're, like, you're looking and saying, like, well, I don't have the creds. I can't do it. That's not, that shouldn't stop anybody.
0: Right. Right. I love it. And I think that you said something really important before and you talked about not feeling stupid. And there's this quote that I've said so many times here on the show, but I'll repeat it again. It's by Epictetus. And he says, in order to improve, one must be content to be thought foolish and stupid. And the reason I love that so much is because I think Many of us, you know, us referring to entrepreneurs, many of us know that we have the ability to succeed and do well, but there's still this fear of, oh my God, what if I put myself out there and I and I suck, right? Or what if nobody comes after I launch that thing? And basically, what you're saying is, who cares?
1: Yeah. Who put cares? it out there
0: anywhere and learn from it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, like. I know when I'm dealing with someone inexperienced when they come to me with their idea and they say, all right, to build this idea, I need you to sign my NDA," And I said, that's me stealing your idea is the last thing you should worry about. Your biggest problem should be worrying about you build it and no one cares, you know. And if that happens, fine. Then, you like, either change it until people care or move on to something else.
0: Right. I love that. Change it until people care. That's such a great... Um, you know, a piece of wisdom to impart on everybody here because I think what ends up happening sometimes, those who actually fail, because here's my definition of failure. Failure is when you give up and you don't get back up and try ever again at that thing, right? So so to me, I feel like sometimes there are stumbling blocks for us entrepreneurs, but if we get back up and we find a way to iterate and improve and see what we're doing wrong and maybe poll our audience and see if there's something that we've missed, I don't think there's anything wrong in that. I think our audiences are more forgiving than we think they really are. They want us to Absolutely. come back, right? And they yeah. want us to do better next time around. But there's still that fear, Kurt. We we all still fe- feel it every day. We wouldn't be human beings if we didn't. So I have a really big question to ask you <laughs> now that we're in and we know your story, we know what you've been through. But right now as we sit here today, Kurt, what, fear, what are you afraid of right now?
1: All right, this is silly. I am still, to this day, I am still afraid of what people think. I won't read internet comments. And occasionally I've read internet comments and stuff about myself. And there's always someone out there who wants to be negative and wants to tear you down. And it's like, what are they building? Like, what are they doing that it matters? And the way I've gotten around it is by celebrating wins. Like, everything I do that's successful, that works, that made like, either made money or made someone's day better. Like, call me Manatee makes people's day better every day. I celebrate that win. I celebrate it with you. Um, you know, or a project um, that in my business that makes money for me. Those are wins. So I, I always celebrate those whenever I start feeling down because I read somebody's comment where they're like, oh, I read some comments um, about the magicemail.com letter side project. It's just an email template that I like that helped a lot of people. And I accidentally stumbled on a comment on Reddit where, Someone made light. Someone thought it was very, um, they described it as cute, because I said I send 4,000 emails a day, or 4,000 emails a year. And they're like, oh, lol, well, he thinks that's a lot. That's cute. And that, like, really bummed me out. Like, why should I care that this guy is sending more email than me? But that bummed me out. Um, and I'm like, wait a second. Way more people have been helped by that website, like freelancers. Especially, there are guys making snarky comments. So I just have to, you know, always celebrate wins and, and run run my business from a position of strength. I and love I, that. You know, a lot of things are it's psychological barriers. That's when I got my business out of its adolescence. So like year four is when I really started to um, think of long term strategies and not stumble into stuff. Um, there's a book that really helped me a lot. I brought it. Um, Winning through intimidation. Oh, I've it's, heard of that yeah, before. It's kind of that title makes it sound ridiculous. It's really not about intimidating people. It's just about getting yourself in that that psychological mindset to run your business from a position of strength, and that that's helped me hugely.
0: Right. I I love the tools and the steps that you have uh, this past week that's what I was doing too. one of my homework assignments was to keep a gratitude log which I do that uh, generally anyway but I specifically was doing it this past week and it was so amazing to see the difference in how I felt because I was writing down all the things I was grateful for and I was happy about um, the wins the triumphs the nice compliments from friends or audience members and whatnot it was so different because Sometimes, Kurt, you can get caught up in that whole, you know, one person said something mean to me in a comment, even though ninety awesome things are happening over
1: there. Yeah, like ten emails about <laughs> saying how how I help someone, and then one email that's or one comment that's just snarky and it's like, oh, that ruins my morning. Totally and that's does. Yeah, absolutely. Having like a swipe file or a note somewhere where you put those nice things people say. That absolutely helps.
0: Right. Right. Let's um, just dive real quick because I know for those who they logically get it, but maybe there still an emotional disconnect with, uh, you know, how am I ever going to get through something like this? How am I going to get over something like this? And I think the thing is to recognize the triggers. Can you help us help the audience recognize those triggers in terms of how are you preventing or avoiding situations like this to happen, Kurt? I mean you talked about, for example, you try not to read comments. Right? Because you know it's going to hurt your feelings. Al- there is absolutely hurt?
1: no reason to read internet comments on other people's stuff or your own. Just avoid internet comments in general. Um, Any,
0: anything else?
1: Uh, it's a psychological barrier. So I get, I see this in myself and I see it in other people. Um, they start making excuses. So if you have a great idea, but then you start making a list in your head about why you can't do it or you shouldn't do it, you're really just making excuses as to why you don't have to try because you're scared of failure. It's easier to not try than to go out there um, and take that risk. So I always look for that like that behavior where, you know, am I just making excuses or are these legitimate reasons?
0: I love that. That's fantastic. And the thing is, these are very pragmatic things to do. We're not asking anybody to do anything yeah. magical, right? Yeah, no, it's it's not
1: irrational. You know, it's not crazy. These are they're perfectly, you know, pragmatic's a good word for it.
0: Right. And I would even say too, I think um, many times we do get caught up in this inner chatter, as I refer to it, because we're not writing these things down right? We're just, it's it's up here, and it's stuck up here, and it's hard to focus on anything else because you have all of this inner judgment and inner criticism going on. So what I also like to do, too, is I like to write things down. If, if I'm having a fearful moment, I write about it. I journal about it, and I say, why am I afraid? And then we break down the fear, and you keep breaking it down until you realize you either, A, have a solution for it, B, you just got to let it go because it, you know, there's no use in, in stewing in it, or, or C, you realize it really wasn't a rational fear after all, that it really ended up being ridiculous, you know, at the end of the day.
1: Oftentimes if I have a fear, I'll ask myself, what am I afraid of? And then what's the worst thing that could happen?
0: Mm -hmm. And when
1: you break it down to like, you're you're terrified of something, but then when you break it down to like, here is rationally the worst thing that could happen, it's not scary anymore. Right. Um, Right. And it's also, it's helpful to have either, uh, like you're in the mastermind group, having those mentors, those peers, you can go to them, and ask them, be like, listen, here's the thing I'm worried about. What do you think? And that, right. you know, um, it's a sanity check. Right.
0: Right. I love that, and I and I totally agree. Whether it's a mastermind group, whether it's getting a coach or a mentor, you need other people around you. Even a podcast like this, you need people around you who are going through similar things as you to help you get through that. You know, one last question before we have you wrap up and tell us what you're working on, Kurt. Was there a support group like that? Like, where did you go for these types of outlets to help provide you this positive resource to keep going?
1: All right. Well, number one, um, I was lucky in that I had. uh, I started with a co-founder, and then later added a business partner. So there are always two people there that I could bounce ideas off of, and that was hugely helpful. Um, and very quickly, like business partners, um, become it—it it turns into a marriage where I'm—you have to open up to them and tell them like, here's what I'm afraid of, here's what I'm worried about, and that was hugely helpful. Um, and then later, I'm in uh, two mastermind groups, and that's that's been massively helpful. And then. Well, it's funny, I've been, in the last year, really reaching out and helping more um, freelancers, people who are just getting into um, to the business or freelancing or starting their own business, and talking to them and getting those ideas on paper to them and having them say, wow, that's really great, that really helped me, that validates the idea for me and tells me, like, oh, okay, it wasn't just an accident that worked, that was actually a good idea. <laughs>
0: So basically you're having them implement the things that you wish somebody would have told you, what, five, six
1: years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of it's like, okay, this is a thing that works for me, and like, it's easy to doubt yourself. It's easy to say, well, like, that didn't work because you're smart. That just worked because you got lucky. But when you tell it to someone else and they say, oh, that's a great idea or that really helped me out, then it, it validates it. you are like, okay, maybe I'm not an imposter after all. <laughs> I
0: love it. And that word comes up a lot, Kurt. Seriously. Yeah, every single person I talk to who is an entrepreneur or a small business owner, that is one of the biggest fears is what if they find out that I'm not all that I, you know, I claim to be. And and the thing is we usually end up being all that we are, but for some reason we're the only ones who don't believe it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's the nature of it. But yeah, the more You got to celebrate those wins and and seek out that reinforcement and help people. And that'll that'll very quickly, you'll say, wait a second, maybe I'm not an imposter. Maybe this is for real.
0: Right, right. And I love that. I love where we ended that note is to help people. I will say that when I really, really started to understand what it meant to go out and serve and help and, um, it was around the time that I was struggling with how do I get my business up and running? It was about 2009ish. You know, I'd been at my coaching for about a year. And I remember talking to one of my mentors and he's like, "You got to stop focusing on the money, Bernie." He's like, "You just got to go out there, help people, do good work. They'll see it. People will refer you. People will call you up." And I didn't know if I should believe it at at first because that didn't seem Pragmatic to me, I was like, "How is helping going to help me monetize?" Right, but I took I took the focus away from make money, make money, and it it shifted over to do awesome work. And when you show people you can do awesome work, and then you ask them for money, they'll be willing to bend over backwards and give it to you. And you know that has been the case. You know now six years later, and I'm. It sounds like that's what's been the case for you as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a I've heard this before from other people. The the two step success plan. It's step one, do awesome shit. Step mm. two, tell people about it.
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's and that's so easy. Seemed,
1: it seems simplistic, but until I did it, and it worked, then I'm like, oh, that's what they were talking about. <laughs> so you know, if you make something great, you can blog about it, write about it, or find like a forum or group where you can talk about it and tell people, and they'll they'll ask you questions, and then they'll really like validate and get you thinking.
0: That that's that's the secret, you guys. You know, shut up, show community. That's the secret. If there's anything you take away from our conversation today with Kurt, it's do good shit and tell people about your good shit. And speaking of good shit, let's close up here and tell everybody what you're working on. If you have any projects that are coming up, anything new, a new website, um, whatever it is you want to pimp out here, Kurt, feel free to do so for the next couple of minutes and tell people where they
1: can find it. Okay, I have loved working with small business, e-commerce people with Shopify. So if you're going to get into e-commerce, go with Shopify. i love it as an e-commerce platform. It's great support, super easy to use. Um, to help people out who have existing Shopify stores and say, okay, you know, I've got it set up, it works. I don't want to spend the money on a full redesign because what would that cost you, like $10,000, dollars $20,000? i have got a, a consulting offering. Um, it's a fixed fee. It ex- tells you exactly what you get. Um, it's called Website Rescues, and you can find that at websiterescues.com. Um, and it's a fixed fee for $2,500. We go through, like, 30 or 40 fixes that are all focused on return on investment for your business. So that's my plan.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Kurt. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. And I know that oh, thank you. We, we only scratched the surface because I know we were talking about mindset strategies today. But I know you're like a really smart technical dude, too. <laughs> so so maybe you. we'll have to have you back for, you know, maybe a technical component of the show. Oh, I'd love to.
1: Yeah. People have questions. Um, hit me on Twitter. Email me. I'm always happy to help.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to include any links or anything else you discuss at the bottom of the show notes when this goes uh, public. But in the meantime, Kurt, thank you so much for Thanks joining us on you. the Shut Up Show. It yes, has been such you. a pleasure to talk to you. you too. All right, guys. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Shut Up Show. And remember, if you don't want to miss a single episode, simply go to our website at theshutupshow.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Until
1: next time, folks, shut up and make shit happen.